we are that. We are that impossible reality, an oak tree. That is what I caught a glimpse of last Sunday. We are that. I caught a glimpse of what it might feel like, what it might look like, what it might sound like to be an oak tree. And I want more. I want more. I don't know about all of you, but I couldn't sleep on Sunday night, last Sunday. My imagination, my heart was set on fire by what we could be. We could be that. And if you weren't here, you missed missed something, but let me tell you generally what happened. Reverend Justin and Dr. Heather Hackman did some real truth-telling about race in our country, in our faith tradition, and in our community. And like that capless, scruffy little acorn, they said, we're going to place racial justice at the heart of this community. And we're going to go into the ground, and we're going to tell the truth, and our shells are going to crack open. But let's see what we can become, because we are meant to be an oak tree. But the power of last Sunday, as Justin said, was not just the message. We've had messages much like that. I mean, messages of truth and and awakening before. The music. The music was spectacular thanks to the great work of our beloved choir and those beautiful young cast members from the Lyric Arts Theater and that vision, the vision of Randy Baikema. And some of us had to weep and some of us had to shout out loud and some of us thought it was way too much. And (laughs) others had to get out of their seats and shake their booties. The music took the message of racial justice and placed it in our bodies. It placed it on our lips, and we felt something moving in this sanctuary even more ecstatically than our behinds. It wasn't just the music. We've had music in this sanctuary that is that moving before. So what was it that happened? I keep asking myself, what happened on Sunday? What happened? What happened? So here's what I think, or here's what I'm noodling on anyway. I think we're reaching this tipping point. And some of us in this congregation have been holding on to this vision of racial justice for a long time, and they've heard this message before, but they are holding on, and they're wondering when the rest of us are going to catch up. And some of us are just starting to put the pieces together, and the experience is profound. And others may be saying, hey, wait just a minute. I don't know if I believe this, but I'm fairly certain that all of us, that we're beginning to understand our potential for transformation and that we're shaping that transformation right now. 
as Susie put it, we are starting to learn to lean into the vowels instead of the consonants of racial justice. And it was an amazing sound. It was amazing how much spiritual sound we created. We are starting to think louder. Now, over this past year, we've been shifting our energy to the core of what will actually affect change in this racial justice work. We've been digging in, asking hard questions of ourselves. White people have started examining what privilege means and what it does to the spirit. We've started to to peel off the blinders and actually see that the values we espouse and the social construct we benefit from just don't match up. And the price is steep. The price is steep for the people of color. And it's keeping all of us, all of us from a sense of wholeness and aliveness. And what's been stunning to me is that we're also trying to avoid practicing Minnesota nice and actually telling one another where we're at, actually asking questions. I mean, yesterday I was just stunned by a a way that I had not seen something, and instead of just like holding it in and trying to figure it out myself, I went over to Jill, and I said, did you see it this way, or how did you see this? And I so appreciated that she told me the truth. Because she's standing on the front lines of this, this racial justice work. And it has been beautiful to witness, and it's beautiful to experience. It's like our shells are beginning to crack open, and we're seeing the oak tree hidden in one another. And it is a powerful combination, truth and mercy. That's what's starting to to come together, truth and, and mercy. And last Sunday, in that alchemy of truth, mercy, music, and message, I'm just going to be frank, I had a vision. I had a vision of what we're supposed to be. And if I were going to put it in the gospel language, I think I had a glimpse of the kingdom of God. Now, that's how Jesus described the oak tree. It's not some static state of heavenly bliss attained after we die, that is a distortion of the kingdom of God language. Instead, the kingdom of God means an experience of our innermost aliveness, our innermost aliveness of everything and everyone that can only happen when truth and mercy meet and righteousness and peace kiss. That's what the Psalms say when righteousness and peace kiss. 
So tell us, says the curious acorn, tell us how we become a tree. So here's where I want to dig in. All the sacred traditions talk about the unique quality of being human. We are of this world. We are flesh and bone. We are animal with all the basic instincts of survival, flight or fight, programmed right into our being. But we are also energy. We are spirit energy. We are spirit with incredible instincts of reflection, clarity, and compassion. We are the stuff of angels. So our task as human beings, the secret to our true aliveness, is not to choose spirit energy over earthly realities or vice versa, but to live into our birthright, to live into both these planes of existence. We are creatures of mixed media, body and spirit. And we're supposed to live into the dynamic of moving back and forth in and around the stuff of the world and the stuff of spirit. One of my favorite theologians, Cynthia Bourgeau, illustrates the secret of our human existence this way. She says, we are much like a candle. The candle is an object consisting of wax and wick. But the real secret of the candle is when the match is struck and the candle begins to burn. Only then do we see what a candle really is. Its outer life is tallow and wick. Its inner life is flame. The secret of this human life is to strike the match and set the outer life aflame to reveal the inner aliveness. And I remember reading that passage and asking, what are the unique qualities of my outer form? What is the wax and wick of me, of who I am? And what is my inner aliveness, that divine spark, that longs to be set ablaze. How do I strike the match? That's what I want to know. To strike the match means getting conscious. It means getting conscious. To really start understanding ourselves as energy transformers, energy shapers, because that's what we are. Bourgeois calls it that, that we are midwives of the spirit. And Emerson said it another way. That which dominates our imagination and our thoughts will determine our lives and character. What we are worshiping, we are becoming. So, so, so listen to the examples that Bourgeois gives. We are not here to build nests. The birds can do that. Rather, we are here to take our nests and make them homes, vibrant with the qualities of kindness, order, and stability. 
We are not here to amass hordes. The ants can do that. Rather, we are here to take those stockpiles and release them into the energy of generosity and compassion. And we are not to live forever, but to die well, releasing to the atmosphere courage, dignity, and trust. So this is the question that really starts to crack the shell open to me, for me, as I become more and more conscious of myself as an energy transformer, an energy shaper. What am I feeding? What am I feeding? How am I midwifing spirit? I've certainly experienced energy shifts, but it's only been recently that I started to name it or become conscious of it, that I am and we are energy shapers. So a couple of years back, I was rehearsing for a concert with um, Dean McGraw, a great guitarist and a dear friend. And as we were sitting talking about music and how we were hoping to shape a particular piece, he turned to me and he said, you've changed in only his Dean way. You've changed. Huh. No, really, I mean it. You've changed. Well, uh, how so? You've let something go. Now, my sister had commented on the same thing just a couple of days earlier. So let's say my spiritual tuning fork had been rung a couple of times, and so I was really paying attention. Something had shifted, and people could see it. So I realized I was finishing seminary and putting some things together, and what was happening was I was greeting the world more like this. So more like an open embrace or wonder or... um, softness, rather than this. <laughs> Brace for impact! <laughs> That's my usual way, my old way, or I'm trying to change that way. Brace for impact! Because I've been bracing for impact my, most of my entire life, and it's a very old way of being. I am a worrier from head to toe. Worry, worry, worry. That's what I do. Pure and simple. I mean, I would barely let myself finish a project or achieve a goal before I was worrying about the next one and the mountain that I had to climb. Oh, yes, and it's a big one, so I better get worrying right now. (laughs) And over the course of my study and my theological shaping, it became clear to me that worry was a faithless posture in life faithless posture. And how in the heck was I going to call myself a minister, a woman of faith, when I am practicing faithlessness religiously? (laughs) Oh, Lord. Oh, God. That really got me there. So I, so I, I began to get 
conscious about what I was feeding, and I said to myself, I am going to feed faith. I am going to feed faith. So um, here's what I did, and it's different for everybody, but here's what I did. I, I read the Bible. I studied. I talked openly to my friends and my professors. I cried a lot. I got very serious about meditating every morning of emptying myself for a while and then trying to let a prayer arise. I got clearer and clearer about what I think this God thing is about and then aligning my actions with that understanding. I was feeding faith. And it didn't mean that I I wasn't working hard. It didn't mean that I didn't study. It didn't mean that I didn't worry. But my worry didn't have the same kind of power. I was consciously feeding faith. And I was transforming myself. The energy shift was so palpable, so obvious that my friends, my sister started commenting on it. And I realized when I trust that indeed there is a love that will not let me go, that I am held by something greater, then my posture in the world starts to change. I see things differently. I walk in the world with a greater sense of safety. I have the experience of this. Embrace softness of breathing into my toes. Over the course of this past year, this church has started to ask the question, what are we feeding? What are we feeding? And it is transforming us. I mean it. It's transforming us. Yesterday, I attended our first racial justice training, and near the end of those seven hours, I was overwhelmed. I was overwhelmed with joy and grief. And those are hard things to balance in the same time, but that's the truth of the matter. Joy and grief And through it all, there was compassion in that room. Personally, living into and working for a racially just world pushes every doggone button I have got. I feel shame. That's a big one. Hmm. Old, old. I feel numb. I can revert to another old pattern, which is when I see danger, I want to get low and get small. So I've started to ask myself, as I'm doing this racial justice work, what am I feeding when I feed shame, numbness, and getting low and getting small? Shame feeds fear. Numbing out feeds hopelessness. Getting low and getting small feeds silence. 
all of it feeds the very structure I've committed my life to dismantling. So how do I midwife the spirit of racial justice? How do I feed that? Well, I'm no expert, but I think it has to do something with this truth-telling and mercy. It has to do when truth and mercy meet and righteousness and peace kiss. Friends, we're standing in the shadow of a hill. And I know I've been unconsciously and sometimes consciously unfair and unkind and walked away from suffering far too many times. But I don't want to feed that anymore. I want to feed the reality of the oak tree. Wanting to feed something that will take root in me, in you, in this faith community, in the world beyond these walls. I want to feed the kingdom of God because we are that. We are that. Be so. Amen.